Well, greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome to the second meeting of Movie Club. We are so glad you're joining us here today. I'm, of course, John Campy. Sitting over here is Robert Meyer Burnett. Robert, how are you doing? Doing well. Doing well. I'm feeling metal. Metal. So metal. And sitting across from us is Ray Ora. Ray, how are you doing? Hey, hey, hey. what's up? Uh, guys, just for those of you who don't know, uh, Movie Club is the uh, is the gathering we all have around here, around the John Campia channel, to talk about one of our beloved movies. And we just get together to do nothing for an hour, but talk about that one movie. And of course, last week we kicked off Movie Club with Gladiator, and that was a lot of fun. Doing Gladiator was a lot of fun. And this week we're going back to the beginning. You know, we've just got the Doctor Strange 2 trailer that everybody's freaking out about. So we thought this would be a good time as we're coming off the high of Spider-Man No Way Home and we're getting to ready to go into the next high of Doctor Strange, The Multiverse of Madness. We thought this would be a good time to go back to the beginning and go back and look at the movie that really started it all for the MCU, which was Iron Man. And we're going to talk about Iron Man here today. And here's how Movie Club goes. You know, me, Rob, and Ray, we're going to talk about Iron Man uh, ourselves, give us our thoughts, you know, go through the movie a bit. And then we're going to go into the second half of Movie Club. And then we want to hear from you. If you want to send in an observation, a thought, or whatever about Iron Man, and only about Iron Man, we're not here to talk about anything else except Iron Man, go ahead and use the Super Chat feature and send that in. We'll read those off once we get to the second half of today's club meeting. So... Let's get things kicked off here, talking about Iron Man. It is really weird today to think about a time when there was no MCU. I mean, because I mean, the, the MCU has been around. Rob, you were pointing it out earlier today that in May, it's going to be 14 years since Iron Man came out. Want to feel a little old, everybody? In May, it'll be 14 years since Iron Man came out. And it kind of fundamentally changed the landscape of movies because you know obviously in the time since then the marvel cinematic universe comic book movies more in general but also the, the marvel cinematic universe have become the dominant force in the box office the dominant force in movies and it's weird to think of a time when that wasn't the case but iron man was the one to kick it off and just just in general when you think back on that original iron man movie now what do you think about well you know what people forget but I remember the talk of the town at the time was that Iron Man was a secondary character, was not a big heavy hitter of the Marvel Universe, and that people thought that this movie may have been a bit of a risk. Now, I thought that was Robert Downey Jr., of course, famously had had his tribulations, call them, and, and he was not necessarily considered a bankable star. He was a phenomenal actor. He'd be he, a chaplain. You know, he'd got an Academy Award nomination for that. Fantastic actor. He'd been part of Hollywood for decades by then. But but the fact that they hired him, John Favreau, you know, John Favreau, who really uh, swingers just a decade before he'd written that. Um, this movie was a risk. It was not. It was not a sure thing, John. It was not a sure thing. And people didn't know if it was going to work. And Kevin Feige, of course, um, this, by the way, the thing that's surprising about Iron Man, people forget, is the Paramount logo at the front. Dude, I'm telling you, as, as I sat down to brush up on Iron Man again, because I hadn't seen it in a bit. You know, you're just so used to, bum, 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 right? And instead, seeing the Paramount Mountain and the Paramount Stars, like, whoa, that's... 
that's it. But, but I, before you move much further, let's, I want to dwell a little bit on the whole thing about, because there, there is no Iron Man without, Iron, without Robert Downey Jr. No. And a lot of people today don't understand how close they came to not having Robert Downey Jr. Because quite frankly, the studio didn't want him. Like Robert Downey Jr. was a, on his second strike, as like he had sabotaged his own career once, was kind of given a little bit of a comeback with Ally McBeal. And then they fired him quickly off of Ally McBeal because he relapsed again and he sabotaged his own career again. And a lot of people forget today exactly what the state of Robert Downey Jr.'s career was at that time. The, the, the executives didn't want him. John Favreau thought he was the right guy to do it, but the executives frankly didn't want him. Ultimately, they relented and they let John Favreau use him. And the rest is history, but a lot of people forget just how close they almost did not have him. Dude, and you know what's really interesting about this film? First of all, this movie is wildly entertaining from start to finish. And the first five minutes of this movie, it begins in Afghanistan. And by the way, not in Atlanta, green screen for Afghanistan, but they, I don't know if they didn't shoot in Afghanistan, but they're in the mountains somewhere. It's all, it's all real. It looks real. It feels real. You hear the dun, 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 dun. You know, which gets you excited. You get, you get totally excited. And then what's really interesting is you go into this military convoy and you meet Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark wearing this pinstripe suit. And the soldiers in that vehicle, in that Hummer, in that Humvee are the audience. We're all like, show us what you got, you know, and within minutes, it with 30 seconds, 40 seconds, Tony Stark Robert Downey Jr.'s portrayal has endeared you to him. Yeah, you you, inst you instantly know that character right away. You instantly know that character right away, and you love these guys, and you're like the soldiers. We're all sitting there with the audience, and then he breaks the ice. He's joking with the soldiers. He's got the drink in his hand. Can I take a selfie with you, Mr. Sark? Yeah. But let's, let's, let me talk about that selfie for a second. You want to feel old again? Here's, here's how you feel old again. He references... Um, MySpace. MySpace. Dude. I don't want to see this on your MySpace. MySpace was already kind of on the way out, but don't. But it was still a little bit of a joke. But I mean, there are, if there are people watching Iron Man for the first time today, for the first time today, there are literally people in the movie audience, maybe as young as 21, who, if they watch Iron Man for the first time today and they see that, they're going to turn to the person next to them and say, what's MySpace? Yeah. Just wrap your heads around that. No, and it's 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 incredible the way you immediately love this guy, and then of course this convoy is attacked, and suddenly you're you're having fun and watching this fun like the music is playing DC and all this. And by the way, a really good decision because uh, it was it's very interesting. Like a lot of movies start with a scene, and something happens, and then they go back. I thought it was really interesting the fact that they made the decision to start the scene and then just jump back 36 hours because with that, like you said, you're getting us introduced to the character, the explosion goes off and we're right in the middle of a firefight and by making that one simple edit decision, by putting that first and then just putting up 36 hours earlier, they got us invested in the movie a lot faster and we were there right away. Yeah, I've always been curious as to did it play linearly? 
you know, or if it was, I don't know, I haven't read the script, but if it was more like that, if, if that was always the way the movie opened, I would assume it was always the way the movie opened. But then when you ju- jump back in time, you meet Rhodey, you know, you meet, it's not Don Cheadle, you know, it's Terrence Howard as Rhodey. And then again, you're seeing Tony Stark's world. And what's so great about it is, the visual effects are not ostentatious, but they're great. Like his plane, the Stark jet, and all of the stuff, it, it establishes this very credible, re- you're in the real world. It's not too fantastical. It's not too, you believe that it's a, a rich tech baron, and it, it it's not too over the top. It's firmly, I always talk about verisimilitude. You believe this. This is a real, this is a real world, and and. To think where this winds up 14 years later, but here in Iron Man land, Iron Man one land, it feels real. You believe it like like this could be happening in our world, the world of 2008. And I think that's really important. Again, we were we were talking about it again and saying it's like remembering that this movie came out almost 14 years ago. And for the most part, there are obviously exceptions for the most part, the visuals kind of stand up. I mean, they've improved. But Ray, you know, before we get into the details, we're going step by step through this. You know, you watched Iron Man again. I, you know, what's what's your general when you think of Iron Man? What do you think about? Oh, I let me go back for a second. I was working at Lehman Brothers, or like uh, it was BNC Mortgage, then it went to Lehman Brothers. And I remember every lunch, I we, we me and this one dude would always go to the comic shop and buy some comics because sometimes we just didn't feel like eating lunch. Anyways, he's the one that actually tapped me on the shoulder. He's like. Hey, did you see the new Iron Man poster they released? And guess who's playing him? And I was like, who? He's like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. And I was like, (laughs) for a second, I was like, wait a second. Is that Moonlight? (laughs) Right? Or or, no, no. And then he's like, he explains. And I was like, oh. And at first I was just like, I don't know about that. I don't know. (laughs) And then he go and I go to his computer and he pulls up this, the first Iron Man poster. And like, you know how we've seen Iron Man in the comics, like really, really not, not gold. It's like always like that yellow or whatever. So yeah. when I saw it and he's, it always looked like he was boxy or like just made out of like um, actual, like, you know, screws and stuff like that. And then I see this sleek red gold thing. And I didn't like it because I wasn't used to seeing a version like that. I wasn't big on it either. The first I wasn't time I used saw to it. seeing that version of it. Wow. Yeah. First time I saw it, I wasn't huge on and it. And then I was like, what's that thing in the the thing? Like the glowing thing. Like even that threw me off. I was like, man, I, what are they doing? Like that was my, I was a pushback, but I'm not the type of pushback where I'm going to tell everyone, oh, I hate it. You shouldn't watch it. It's going to be crap. That's Just to myself, it was just like, oh, that's a little weird. I'm not used to seeing it that and that actor. So, um, but of course, with everything, I have to give it a chance. And that's, that's what I remember from Iron Man. And what's funny is later on that year, the company shut down. We all got laid off. And the last thing me the big and my, short, the man, whole collapse happened. The last thing me and my coworkers did there, we all watched Iron Man at the theater. That was like the last time I remember hanging out with my group of friends that worked there like that our little together, group yeah we watched iron man at the some 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 um theater in disney and i loved it i watched this is i say I never rewatch movies i rewatched this movie like eight times in the theater right because come on man robots a guy in a robot suit well, it I mean, everything look, it's, it's easy for us to take 
it for granted today. But that was so new. Like, not not just, oh, a person in an iron suit, we've seen different things. Like What I mean by new was the DNA, the personality attached to it, the charisma attached to it, the entertainment value attached to it. I mean, it was just something like we hadn't seen before. And that Iron Man movie kind of just exploded. And, and, and it became this, this cultural phenomenon. And here's the other thing about it. As I think about it, and I think you and I talked about this a few weeks ago, Rob. But when you go back into it, there is a beautiful allegory in it. There's an old Bible story about Saul on the road to Damascus. Right, we were talking about we, this. We talked about this before, right? There's, there's this classic Bible story who, you know, the, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, you know, he was Saul, a guy who was a persecutor of Christians. And then one day when he's on this road to Damascus, he had this encounter. It completely changed him. He became Paul and, you know, the rest is history. The, the first half of Iron Man, really the whole movie of Iron Man, is a giant representation of Saul on the road to Damascus. Absolutely. Tony Stark is Saul. He is this, he's a war profiteer, as Liz, Leslie Bibb called him. He was a guy who didn't care about all the violence in the world that made him money. Peace makes him go out of business. He's all about selling weapons. And then he almost literally was on a road to Damascus, almost literally, has the encounter, ends up in that cave uh, with Yensen, who, by the way, I'm forgetting the guy's name who played Yensen. He was one of the very first, like, big movie interviews I ever did on the movie mm -hmm. blog. He came on the movie blog one day. But at, at any rate. He's the man with the glasses in the cave, right? Yeah, the guy okay. who, who saves Tony's life. He has this encounter with him. So Tony has this dual encounter. First of all, an encounter with an incredibly good man in Yensen that changes his life. But saves also, his life. Saves his life. But also an encounter with a truly up close and personal experience about what the weapons he creates are doing. Literally, yeah. the weapon causes his wound that almost kills him. And that's a living reminder. And it's with him the whole time. And the combination of those things makes him completely change his life. He is still who he is, but he's changed his focus, mission, everything in life. And I think... That's what was was what kind of captured the imagination of a lot of people watching Iron Man for the first time. It wasn't just your stereotypical comic book movie. X-Men changed that. The first X-Men movie changed that. But it wasn't just the stereotypical comic book movie. They put into it a deeply personal movie about this guy, Tony Stark, and this incredible journey he goes on. And they dressed it in this veneer of shiny red armor and explosions. And it, it just became a massive hit. And uh, well, but also, oh, go ahead. No, 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 go ahead. Well, I was going to say too, that when you, when you detail his life, what I, what I love, I love about stories like this is all of us would love to have a little Tony Stark in our lives. All the money you want, all the toys you want, all the girls you want, or if you're a woman, all the guys you want, or maybe it's somebody else you want, no judgment here, but you get the people you want, the life you want. Everything is exciting. I love even Rhodey when they're on the plane, you know, they get on the plane and, and, uh, uh, Tony's like, yeah, have some sake, have some, have, we're going to have some sashimi. And Rhodey's like, no, I don't drink. And there's the hard cut into like the, the club on the plane. They're at the back. <laughs> Where the stewardesses are dancing yeah, on Rhodey's the pole. Yeah, hammered. One of my favorite little details that I always forget is the stripper pole that comes up from the floor. It comes in up a the, plane. in a plane, the technology. And, and, and it's just, I, I mean, it, it really gives you, there's Favre does a great job providing entertainment value. And it's so weird because it has nothing to do with it. But I think back to a movie like Back to the Future, 
that in the first 20 minutes sets up Alex, or I keep it Alex, not Alex, Marty, sets Marty up and the whole world, the whole milieu, and it's deliciously entertaining. Every single shot, every moment, every eye, every eye twitch Tony Stark has, the whole thing is wildly entertaining. And in terms of a big tentpole movie, the direction and the writing and the performances and Matthew Libatique's photography, it's got a really great a colorful yet contrasty look to it. So it has a really, I mean, when it's outside, you're clearly outside, but when you're in lit environments, it looks glitzy and expensive. It's just a really great time at the movies. And it's amazing because it takes a while for even the iron, the first Iron Man suit shows up at like 38 minutes in or something. And you've got this whole story. Like you said, road to Damascus. You know, I had said to you last week, I go, I've always told people that want to learn learn how to write. Well, you have to know your Bible and people like, what does that mean? Rob, you mean to be all the classic movies are based on. I said, yeah. And and if you were to tell somebody and you brought this up to me, you're like, this is the road to Damascus story. The story of Paul, the apostle Paul. And who would have thought that in order to write a great Iron Man story, you would need to know that Bible story <laughs> as the basis. And But it's true. And I think that th- this movie, it keeps it intimate. You never really move away from Tony Stark. I mean, you see the terrorists and you see you get a glimpse of it. But the movie's really always through his eyes. It's an compared to now. I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe began with a very direct and simple story of one man. And who would have thought that that's how... I mean, 40, 14 years later, you're watching the trailer for uh, uh, Multiverse of Madness. I mean, my God, who would have thought that, that this is where we where we started? I, but I, I got to bring up the fact of like my doubts of Robert Downey Jr. Like you were saying, that part where they're in just the army uh, Hummer. Yeah. Right at the beginning. I don't know. Within two minutes. I, I bought in. I was yes. like, yeah, I don't think you're alone. I think that I one was like, scene did that. This guy is perfect. I yeah. mean, yeah. Because at the time I was reading, I know I was late. I was reading New Avengers, and Iron Man was in that team, and he was the one that I le- cared about the least. So when when we I heard it was Iron Man, I was like, you're right, Rob. It was a secondary character to me, but within the first five minutes, it was all all out the door. <laughs> I was all in. Woo! And that photographer you're talking about. And the special special features, I think John Favreau specifically just wanted him. There's no one else. I I I swear there's like a little part in the special features about what's his name again? Matthew Lubatique. He's the Filipino. I think he's Filipino. But um, yeah. So that's all I had to say about that. All my doubts were gone right away because Robert just he he just brought it. And well, let me bring up something else here too. Talking about how he's, you know, it takes like a full half hour of him actually building because they could have just gone right into, well, I'm in uh, the desert now. Quick, I need an Iron Man suit. And he's in an Iron Man. He's fighting things. John Favreau decided to spend that time on that character journey first. He had to have the character journey first and they gave us that. But what reminded me of something though is once he built the armor and particularly once he comes home, makes the Mark II and then makes the Mark III, and he's standing there. By the way, one of my favorite lines in the movie, he's standing there as the, the machinery that puts the armor on him is also trying to take it off, and it's mm-hmm. awkward. And Pepper walks in. It's like, what the hell's going on? And there's this awkward silence. Pause, pause, pause. And then Tony, let's face it. This isn't the worst thing you've caught me doing. <laughs> and which, which is great. But what that whole thing reminded me of is, oh, my God, I so prefer the real armor 
to the magic nano yeah, tech yeah, that he yeah. uses now. Now it's just sorcery and now like I just the I so no don't get me wrong I love Iron Man and all the future movies I do I love all of it in Endgame Infinity War but there was something really cool about the fact of him stepping into the stirrups, stepping out his yeah. arms, and, doo, doo, the armor being put on him, and then he goes into battle. There's something so tactile. Well, and it and also cool creates that. a reality. Yes, right, even exactly. Though thing, it, you believe it, and and it, it never feels like, sure, some of the things where he falls out of the sky a couple of times, it's like he could never survive that, but it's fine. I'll go with that. But But you believe all of this because they take the time to make you believe in it. It's yes. almost like that RoboCop sort of thing. Where like you see the internal parts and you see where everything goes and it's not just one piece. No, you I know. Mean, I understand that once you've seen that over the course of a right. bunch of different movies, it would right. get old. So by the time you get to Infinity War, it's look something new. He taps his thing. I wouldn't mind. Like, I, I get it. I, I wouldn't get mind it. seeing a small thing of the additions that he's they've added to the armor. How he got there. I mean, maybe just like a small thing that would be cool. Because like we we don't see any of the designing anymore after this. No, like any of the designing or the coming up, and also we don't see any more of the womanizer of Tony Stark. Yeah, the pure because in the prior to the Road to Damascus conversion, that guy is like a master womanizer. Well, it, I love I, I love the whole line. Is it true you went twelve for twelve with the maximum yeah, cover? Yeah, yeah. By mean, the way, can I point can I point out too that the reporter for those of you who may not know the reporter who comes up to him as he's coming out of the party, the beautiful blonde, that's Leslie Bibb. I love Leslie Bibb. Yeah, and then he the takes way. her home that night. Uh, yeah. Actually, you know what? Leslie Bibb, she she just, she just didn't really want to do this. I think she just did this to make me feel like a rock star. I was on set of a movie with her. It was when the Time Magazine article came out with me in it. And she literally came up and asked me to sign her <laughs> Time Magazine thing. It's like, I knew she doesn't give a shit who I am. She just thought I can make this fool feel good for a second but at any rate but it's so funny that he ends up sleeping with her in the movie and she goes on to marry sam rockwell in real life who became tony's hammer. foil <laughs> yeah. hammer industries came who played justin hammer in the movie so a little bit for those who didn't know that let leslie Bibb, that reporter went on to marry sam well sam rockwell and i have to say that creating the secondary characters like um happy and also uh, Pepper Potts. There's the great scene where Pepper Potts gets introduced and she has Leslie Bibb's outfit dry cleaned. Oh, that's such a and good that, scene. And she has, she has the line. She goes, yeah, I take, I also take out the trash. Yeah. So <laughs> and you, and after Leslie Bibb tries to diss her, oh, you do it. You still do his dry cleaning. Yeah. And I also take out the trash. It was, <laughs> I love that. And, and again, great writing, great character development. And it's just, again, what movies do so well, wildly entertain. And remember, Kevin Feige came off of, he worked for Richard Donner, but he's coming off of working on, he saw the, the, the ran the gamut from Raimi Spider-Man, Brian Singer's X-Men, but he also saw Elektra. And he also saw Mark Steven Johnson's Daredevil, which was all right. I didn't mind that. But then he saw Ghost Rider. So he saw what works and what doesn't. And I think he really applied everything he knew to make sure he was the, uh, he was the full producer on this movie. Uh, he, he shared that producer credit, but, but he made sure that we were getting the kind of movies. This was a summer movie, an entertaining movie, the beginning of a franchise. And as you watch this in the first half an hour, you just love this movie. It's, it's just so much fun to watch. And, and speaking of secondary characters, we also got Clark, 
Greg? Is it Clark Greg? Yes, yep. Clark Greg. He Agent makes his Coulter. appearance. He comes in later, though. Yeah, 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 right. But still, like, he's really a foundational thing about the whole MCU. That's yep. one of the things I love about the Agent Coulson character. He is such an in-the-shadows character that's barely brought up. But really, when you look at the role he has played throughout, going right that right into the first Avengers movie, his death becomes the rallying point for the Avengers in that. I mean, it was just great to see. By the way, I, I did want to point out one other thing because we were talking about Reacher recently. Something else Favreau did beautifully. A lot of movies and TV shows today, when somebody's a villain, you can kind of tell that they're a villain. Like we were just talking about Reacher. I love the new Reacher show. I do. But the one thing they really dropped the ball on in that show is that there was never any guesswork about who the bad guys were. Right. As soon as you met somebody in that show who was a bad guy, you knew they were the bad guy. No subtlety whatsoever. John Favreau had me guessing about Obadiah Stane. Well, he, one of the best scenes where he really threw me off the scent was when Obadiah comes over, <laughs> pardon me, to, to Tony's house at night. Pepper's there. And he just got back from the board meeting in New York and he brought New York pizza with him. And like they they have this disagreement, whatever. And Tony's like, Tony's being stubborn. He's like, oh, I'm going back down to work. And he's like, well, here, take some pizza. Take two slices, whatever. Like he just did all these things that a good guy who was truly endeared to him would do. And right up until that moment when they're at the party and Tony starts putting the pieces together that you are selling these weapons behind my back. Right up until that point, Favreau had me completely off the scent. I did not see it coming. Oh, you, you're absolutely right. You love Jeff Bridges. Yes. You know, you love his bald head. You love the beard. His name's Obadiah Stane. He's got that Jeff Bridges smile. You know, and you realize that these guys have been working together. Tony Stark, he basically raised Tony Stark. They've been together for a long, long time and his whole life, actually. So... The villain turn in this movie is also great. And and when you find out when he comes in later and he, he paralyzes Tony to steal the arc reactor out of his chest, you realize how evil he was. And he admits, I put that hit out on you. Yeah. You know, I hired those terrorists. I told them where your convoy was going to be. And I hope that you'd be but you, dead and you survived, but you had one last thing to give me, your ninth symphony. He plays it so menacingly, too, as he's having that conversation with and, them. And that scene, the way they drain the color from, I'm sure they did that in post. The it's, makeup, it wasn't in post. It was oh, the, oh. the makeup they did on Robert Downey Jr. that I looked at him and I'm like, yeah, that dude's about to die. It was great. It was beautifully it was quick, beautiful. It was a quick turn of his skin. Like, you could see how much that arc reactor affects. Well, the quick turn might have been post, but I mean, like, they, they showed, like, the makeup stuff when he was putting it on afterwards. I mean, oh, my gosh. It just no. looks so sickly. And, yeah, it, and it was great. But again, you know, the movie doesn't need gigantic battles. It's one dude talking to a paralyzed dude who's sitting in a couch. Yep. And and, and it's, it's Jeff Bridges, and it's like, oh, man. We all love. He's the dude, you know. He's 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 the dude, and the dude is a dick. And it's <laughs> the dude it's abides the, the and is a dick. And it's so. I mean, what a great villain he is. And we also see how far ahead Tony Stark's genius and brain is from everyone else that's making weapons. He like they he had these scientists trying to replicate what Tony Stark had. <sighs> oh, 
One of the best Jeff Bridges lines is, Tony Stark made this in a cave with scraps while well, these brilliant scientists exactly. are trying to put it together. And so that and so science, science is like, I'm not Tony I'm not Stark. Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah, that gave you a big idea of the gap between Tony Stark and the rest of the world when it came to this, this tech. And I'll tell you something else. I love, you know, I love my training montages. You must love training montages, John. <laughs> John. I love training. I'm watching it and raising the background. Time for a montage. It's not a real montage. I mean, the whole development of the Iron Man suits is so much fun to watch. I yes. mean, it's... it's That's and, my favorite and, and part. Ag and again, it's one dude in his garage tinkering with his tech. And it's wildly entertaining. I mean, you could have a, t a movie that costs $300 million, but... That scene is as entertaining as any scene you would ever see perfect. in a movie. It was perfect. And by like, the way, speaking of the assembling and making the thing, he had an assistant. The damn arm. The damn arm. That, that is still there in Spider-Man No Way Home. Happy still has it in Spider-Man No Way Home. That arm, one of the funniest moments in all of this movie is he crashes down after his first flight. Like he went flying around the city, crashes down, He's crashed down, blah, the smoke clears, uh, and then the arm comes in with the fire extinguisher. But before I just died. I but before so that, can I just talk about the Mark II suit without any of the color? I gotta yes. say, that is my favorite Iron Man suit. When it's out still of all, all of them. Oh, when it's, it's, it's just look, look on my desk right here. Here he is flying right here. The spinning thing is can you pick Mark him up? II. No, I don't want it to get him off balance. Well, let me see. Oh, I, I don't got to have your camera. Yeah, on it's a spinning Mark II on it. Here, I'll get him. Anyway. But um, yeah, it's the Mark II. Like, it's awesome. Like, I, I liked it way before. So you got it? Is there any way you can show people what it does? Oh, no, I would have to balance it again. But they've seen it. Yeah, the yeah. He's got this levitating. Yeah. Right, I, but, this thing levitates on his. It's, it's, it's this great. incredible thing he's got. But, but, but oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, no, I was. <laughs> what? what? No, I it was, was so like excited. Like Spider-Man so scene. I know. Well, it just—it's it, watching this movie again, revisiting this, and knowing where they've gone. You know, again, this movie. Most of it, if you think about it, a lot of this movie is just Robert Downey Jr. by himself. Yeah. You know, it, it, carrying every scene that he's in, and because they've established him as such a strong character, you can never get enough. You know, if this movie had no other actors in it, you talk about Sam Rockwell. If this was the if this was the Moon superhero equivalent, like in his movie Moon, if this was the Tony Stark version of that, where we saw no other actors, it would still be wildly entertaining. And you know, the scenes where again that wish fulfillment stuff, where whether it's Spider Man first learning how to use his powers yep. when he finally takes off yep. in oh the Iron Man suit, you know, and it's so much. Fun. It, it, it's wish fulfillment. Like you can't help but go, God, I wish, I wish I could do that. Let me bring up one other person we haven't talked about yet. A, a, a character who I think is as much of the heartbeat of this movie. I mean, the, the, really, this movie is Robert Downey Jr. But below the surface, as much of the heartbeat of this movie as is Robert Downey Jr. is Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As Pepper Potts. Pepper, I've said for a long time, I do not like romantic relationships in my comic book movies. Uh, Makari and Druig in Eternals, I'll make an exception for uh, Peter and Gwen in Andrew Garfield's as Emma Stone, that'll make an exception for, but the best romantic relationship I think in any comic book movie ever and ongoing is Tony and Pepper. And I, when I was at the end game premiere, uh, Robert Downey Jr. was on stage and he said, you know, he brought out and he said the true OG MCU heroine is Gwyneth Paltrow. 
And he brought her out and they just talked for, for, he just talked for a couple of minutes about how Gwyneth Paltrow laid the groundwork for what that archetype in the MCU could be. And as you, you go back and watch Iron Man again, the, the really, she becomes the mirror by which we as the audience can see the transformation happening in Tony because she is the one person that brings out the true humanity in him all the time, right? And she plays that character so perfectly and so brilliantly. And honestly, guys, I think that's one thing about these the initial Iron Man movies that does not get enough attention is just how good Gwyneth Paltrow is in those roles. Oh, the, I'll tell you, John, you're absolutely right. It's like 40s screwball comedy. The way they play off one another at first... Yeah, like you said, she's, he says, you've seen me in other compromising situations. You've seen me in worse situations. But I have to tell you, that scene where they almost kiss at the party, you know, on the rooftop or at the on the deck. So good. So good. And then the, her, the way she plays it in her face, you know, mm -hmm. looking in her face, you can tell that she loves him. And that he loves her, but he's too much of an adolescent, too much of a fratty boy to, to realize that yet. And yet it's there. And to see that relationship come full circle to like the beginning of infinity war when they're walking in the park, you know, before Dr. Strange comes to get them and, yep. and they're together and, and you, of course, and you think, my God, you know, infinity war was the 21st MCU movie or was it the 20th? And then captain Marvel came. No, I, I, either one. 20, it was way up there, but, yeah. but, but to see that and have they carried a full circle, that is truly one of the on, ongoing threads that really grounds the MCU. Yeah. I mean, talk about if you want to see how to build a franchise, Iron Man 1, if you look into the DNA of that movie, the road to Damascus storyline, the relationships Tony Stark has, including the one with Gwyneth Paltrow, um, that's why that franchise has endured. And that's why it's worked. They did that pacing of the relationship perfectly yeah like, they never even kissed in the movie yeah yeah that's, Not even at the end. that's what i like because that's what you expect oh everything's fine now they're gonna kiss nope they just played it off and you know there's two times in this movie where she, both of them acknowledge you're all i have you know and those two moments i can't really and then she says go it back to him like you're all i have too or something like that we're like so like beautiful and just gave you that closeness or the the time they've been together and there's been no romance. I mean, we got a little bit, you but feel it, but they yeah. didn't act on it, which right. is great. It's yeah. like almost like I want to see this, but it's it's good that there's they're remaining professional and yes. like you know they what I mean. They played just the tip with the romantic relationship. <laughs> so you know he was hired not not because oh he saw like a love interest. She was really hired as a secretary or whatever his assistant. Well, right? then she becomes CEO of Stark Industries right. later on. Right. Yeah. But you pointed something out. I, I think I th think this is key. When you look at how to build a franchise, right? <clears throat> Take away the post credit scene with uh, Nick Fury at the end. There is nothing in this movie that looks like they're trying to build a big interconnected multi-universe thing. Nothing. There's nothing in this movie at all that suggests that. They made a good movie. That's right. And everybody forgets to just, just make a good movie. It's not about... Do you start with a team movie or do you start with individuals or do you do this formula or that formula or whatever? There would be no MCU if, if Iron Man sucked. If the first Iron Man came out in the movies, they just made a great movie with great characters and told a great story. And because they did, it creates a hunger in the audience to want to come back to it and see it expand and grow. And that's what Favreau did, man. Favreau now, who is, you know, killing it with Mandalorian, not as much with Boba Fett, but... 
killing it with Mandalorian and the TV stuff. That same Favreau, he just, he laid the groundwork. He, he set the path, obviously working with Kevin Feige and everything. And the rest became history all because they did that movie so well. No, and you're, you're absolutely right. And, and one of the great things about this is strip away the science fiction comic book nature of it. Strip away the Iron Man-ness of all of this. It ultimately is the story about one man going through a period of self-discovery and changes. He has a fundamental change in his life from the, we love, the thing is, we love him as the hard partying, you know, sleeping with a great many women, women Tony Stark, mad industrialist, crazy rich. We love that guy. At but, least we love watching him. Well, y- yes, right? yes, yes, we love watching him. But his transformation is also very well set up. When he sees, when that Stark Industries piece of munitions lands at his feet and blows him back and ruins his heart, all of that's earned. Yeah. He doesn't make, like, like I really love Roland Joffe's movie, The Mission, but it's like they cut Robert De Niro's transformation to being more of a saintly character from being a bastard. You buy this movie, yeah. and this movie would still work if it wasn't about a superhero. Yeah. You know what's what was I thought was really cool too. I was awed by just him at that desk where he's spinning around the little diagrams, like those yeah. holograms. Oh, yeah, I thought that was really cool. And like you especially said, especially at the time. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, like his beliefs were changed. These aren't things that he had opinion of the day before. These are things that he grew up with and you know how hard it is to change those beliefs. Yes. So um it's 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 very cool to see. I mean I they they did it really well on screen. Like you got it without them having to say anything, you picked it up right away that that's what was happening. Well, if they didn't ground it in the humanity, the superheroics wouldn't work. Yeah, or, or at least it would be fluff. Yes. It would just be fluff. All right, let's fast forward now because we got to go right, over right, right, here right. with the other people want to talk about here, but let's talk for a second about then what has become the standard and expected thing in all these movies. The event, there has been post-credit scenes before Iron Man, but Iron Man post-credit scene is the one that made audiences now start to stay in their seats after movies are done. The arrival of Nick Fury and Samuel Jackson's Nick Fury. He comes out of the shadows. First of all, this dude overrid Jarvis. How did he do that? Jarvis, like he's, Tony says, coming in, hello, sir. It's like, oh, well, shit, who can do that to Jarvis? And now the shadows, you know, you think you're the only superhero? I want to talk to you about the Avenger initiative. And then everybody exploded. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, and, and if the movie hadn't worked, it would have been it, meaningless. It made half a billion dollars. It was a huge hit. And if it hadn't worked, we never would have seen another Marvel movie. And also, Paul Bettany, you know, the voice of Jarvis. Mm-hmm. Look where all of the pieces of this movie have moved forward into into the universe and it also shows the planning and the thought that i mean i'm sure they didn't plan all of it but they left enough that they 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 look at their franchise and they build upon it but like you said can you imagine if they went to sam jackson i don't even know what that conversation yeah sam we know you're a big star i mean pulp fiction everybody loves you we basically want you to say a few lines after the credits roll with like the promise had, of what was to Yeah, come. with the problem. But he's like, yeah, whatever. Even though he's he's a comic book fan, so he knew what they were talking about. It's the ultimate, it's the ultimate's version of Nick Fury. But if it hadn't worked, you know, he did put his reputation on the line as a big actor by doing this scene. I mean, you gotta hand it to the guy for doing it. And 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 again, if it wasn't for Sam Jackson saying, okay, they might we might never have seen the whole post-credit trope now from Marvel. Could- 
Can we go back a little bit just to the fight scene, the last, the final fight scene with, with uh, Iron Monger? Um, that there's a part where uh, Pepper Potts she can't get through the door, so Clark uh, <laughs> Clark Gray puts that. Oh the yeah. Little, oh, what is that? A little the, pick lock. Yeah. Device? The thing about him is, when there's crap going down. He is the calmest straight face. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. he's seen bigger things. Like you could tell. Turns his back to the door. Just yeah. This. He's like, you may want to, you may want to cover your ears, but that's all great character stuff. Right, right, right. You know, so, he's made, he's doing something with the part that might not necessarily been on the page, but the way he plays it. And he is an indelible character. All of the characters, even, even happy Hogan, you know, is, is the way Favreau plays him. Yeah. John Favreau, 85 pounds and the, ago. And then the part where they're, <laughs> and then the part where they're looking for Jeff Bridges or iron monger and she's, the chains and it's dark and you see his eyes glow oh, up. That's a great moment. That terrified wow. me. And when he started running after her, that As terrified me. Stand up in the eye. Yeah, By the way, can great. I just mention one quick thing about John Favreau too? He actually came, we had our masters of the web. We do our masters of the web thing at, at Comic-Con. He actually came and DJed one of our masters of the web parties <laughs> at, at Comic-Con. He was sitting behind the, that dude. There's, there are levels of cool, Right. I mean, right at the top is a Samuel Jackson level cool, but just below that, there is John Favreau level cool. I mean, like Favreau is is pretty slick. So anyway, sorry, you were, you were gonna say? Well, no. Well, what I was gonna say is that look, is the battle at the end of this movie between two suits? Is it sort of perfunctory? Is it like RoboCop two? It's better than that. I don't. Going back and looking at it now, what what I still love about the battle is the stakes are still between two dudes, yeah. two guys. I mean, one unscrupulous, uh, a guy who turns out to be a, a total bastard, you know. But it's still two guys fighting for their soul. Yeah, it's like you tech know? For, versus tech. And it's it, like my tech is better than your tech. But it's also the two of them. They're differing points of view. I right, mean, right. capitalism run amok, and a man who's had a change of heart because he's been on the road to Damascus, and it means something. It has power. It's not just, oh, we're fighting the bad guy. I mean, it's the culmination of of two very differing forms of American capitalist you, philosophy, and I mean, love it. You you mean their their initial struggle with each other or their conflict remained yes the same throughout. Nothing changed, which is great. I thought that was great. Yeah, and if you know, it could have just been a mustache twirling villain, but because Jeff Bridges brings nuance to it and the way it's written and directed, it matters more as opposed to like, well. Now we're going to have the big fight at the end, which yeah. now has, to be fair, has become a trope in a lot of these the, movies. The freeway fight was great, too. When oh, he throws yeah. him into the bus and then, like, oh. yeah, all of that was cool. And that was early on when they didn't have all the money they needed to make these giant, elaborate scenes. And they weren't shooting. Another thing I have to say, the fact that most of this movie is shot on real locations as opposed to being in green screen environments. Right. Yeah. I mean, sure, Tony Stark's house and they do, but... It, you know, it looks like, oh, they shot this. Uh, this plate was shot in Malibu. You're not looking at an entire digital matte painting of something that isn't real. There's a lot of reality in the film. Even even the plane in it's the Stark jet, it's hard to make planes look realistic in movies. They're better now, but it used to be really hard, especially 14 years ago. But that that plane looks seamless, even though it's the futuristic thing. And it that helps the movie, too, is that it's not shot against a bunch of green screen backgrounds. All right. And some of it was. I mean, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But, <clears throat> but I mean, locations for the most part. I mean, we could sit here and talk about this movie all day. We get to. But we also need to hear from you guys and hear what you guys have to say about this movie and your thoughts about it and everything. So let's dive in right now and start hearing what you guys are saying. So Cutter Hale 
writes in and he says, oh, or wait, am I with the right? Yes. Cutter Hale writes, this movie takes me back to second grade. I was eight when it was released. <laughs> it is 14 years ago. Oh I was eight when it released. I'm now 22. Bridges was a perfect Obadiah. And the final battle is awesome. Listen, I, I don't even think Obadiah is the greatest villain. But the whole reason that worked is because of what Jeff Bridges brought to that. Oh, character. yes. I mean, he was just so good as Obadiah. All right. Cam K writes. This movie is the genetic mutation of cinema that led to the evolution of movies through natural selection. The essential spark to the MCU Big Bang really is. I completely agree. And again, it, it's all about just making a good movie. Start Ima with great characters, a great story, make something great. Imagine if they had opened the MCU with, let's say, the first Avenger or Thor. It had to be Iron Man. It had to, right? I, I don't know. I think... Because Thor is also so good. Yeah. But because of Coulson's role in Thor, you do need to start with the first Iron Man. But if they adjusted a little bit, I think you could have started with the first Thor. It's because that movie, again, a movie of father and sons with great characters and a great story with a great director in Kenneth Branagh, uh, who, you know, might win an Academy Award this year. But but you're right. Uh, it was like that. In terms Iron of Man, tears. In terms of tears. Thor... You knew how powerful he was. Like, people buy in. That's Captain true. America, cool. everyone yeah. loves Captain America. Iron Man's the one that had to win everyone over as a... I'll be honest with you. Going into Iron Man, before I saw the, the first Iron Man, all right, I talked for over a year about how I think this is a mistake. <laughs> I thought so too. <laughs> Who's, Iron Man's just a poor man's Batman. That's what I said. I said that for Did you a really? year. Fifteen years ago, I said that. Now y'all can laugh at that now. I'm not. But a lot of people agreed with me I, at the I time. But I just said this: he's just a poor man. Iron Man is a B-level character. He's a poor man's Batman. Yeah, a rich dude who has no superpowers. He uses his money to use tech to help him fight. He's a poor man's Batman. Well, we're not saying that anymore. I mean, then we saw the movie, and it's like, and you're right. It, they, in, in a way, maybe it did kind of have to start Now we can't with live that. without him. Now you now can't imagine can't without him. Yeah. yeah. He ain't a B-level character anymore. No. Not at all. All right, let's keep going here. Uh, Sam Fisher writes, I know everyone says that Marvel villains suck, but I love Jeff Bridges' Obadiah Stane. He is excellent, and I do think Obadiah is compelling. I'll tell you what, the one best thing about Obadiah Stane to me is that the fact that they kept me completely off the scent that he was actually a bad guy. Uh, and, and that was great. I mean, by the end how fast they were able to make his prototype suit, all that kind of stuff was, that got a little odd. Can we mention that? Great. Can we mention that office scene with him in Pepper Potts? So tense. That was super tense. Yeah, so you didn't tense. know if he was going to catch her or not, but that was. Oh, all right. Next up, we got uh, Ryan Loner who writes, that's Ralphie from a Christmas story who gets told the box of scraps line and just remember he'll get his revenge in far from home. Wait a minute, that was the same guy? The scientist guy? That is the scientist guy. That is the guy. scientist guy. I, yeah. knew, I knew it was him in Far From Home. I didn't realize that was him in that scene. Oh, yeah. I totally forgot about that. Well pointed out, Ryan. Who, by the way, is now making a sequel to A Christmas Story. Oh, yeah. I, uh, I'm nervous about that. <laughs> I know that was a great idea. All right. Sentez Henderson writes, uh, what I love about this movie is its simplicity. It focuses on the man rather than the heroics. Something Superman the movie perfected uh, and was the template Favreau used for this film. It works greatly. It really does. You, when you focus on Tony Stark and not Iron Man, at right. least to start, 
then you lay the foundation for everything. It's one of the reasons why I love Man of Steel as well. Like you, when we meet Clark, he's got his powers, obviously, but we get to know him. We see him as a child developing the unique struggles he has, all that kind of stuff. That that's why it's to me the most underrated comic book movie of all time, Man of Steel. But they did that in Iron Man. It's all about the guy first, the armor second. And I think that's a beautiful part about it. All right. Ryan Loner writes, I can't explain it, but Terrence Howard is still my primary image of Rhodey. And I still think of Don Cheadle as the new guy. I do too. And Don Cheadle is Academy Award level actor. He's amazing. By the way, his introduction to Iron Man 2, yeah, it's me. Deal with it. One of the best actor transfers ever, but I still think of Terrence Howard. I uh, see. I, I I think Terrence Howard does a good job here, but I love Don Cheadle and I love when he says in Endgame, we're all about that superhero. Hey, new girl, we're hey, all about girl. that superhero life. <laughs> I love Don Cheadle so much. I can't even tell you how much I love Don Cheadle. Tony Stank. I'm, yeah, this is him. This is Tony Stank. He's great, but it's just, I think it's partially because Terrence was my favorite first exposure to this character. So it'll always kind of be that template in my head. You know what I mean? But Don Cheadle is awesome. All right. Uh, next up. Uh, who is next? It is Daryl Best Wadley who writes, I know we all love Don Cheadle, but I really wish we would have gotten to see Terrence Howard suit up as War Machine. Yeah, I loved he and Tony's chemistry in the movie. It was good. And when you get to that scene, when Terrence Howard <laughs> looks back at the silver suit of armor hanging there, and he I says, Next time, baby. And it breaks your heart a little bit because he never man. got that's to true. do it. But that's never a great moment. To, it is a great, great moment. moment. All right, next up. Uh, Peter DeLuca writes, I just want to show my support for the format. Thank you so much. I attended UNLV as a film student back in 2012. Nice. And this really brings me back to some fun film classes. Oh, thanks so much, Peter. Thanks for joining us here in our little circle of love known as movie club. <laughs> the running rebels, baby. The running rebels. I'm down with UNLV. We were just talking about them the other day. We were just talking about the run. We're bringing up NBA team to Nevada. All right. Our friend at Fanimator writes, while I do really enjoy this movie, it's nowhere near the top 10 to 15 MCU films for me. The pacing is slow in some places, but it's good fun. Seven to seven and a half out of 10. I think it's more, I, I honestly don't think that it's slow in places. I think it has a deliberate pace. Now, listen, I am also not somebody who puts the original Iron, I don't even know that I have Iron Man one in my top 10 of MCU films. Now that's still saying a lot because the MCU films are great. But I don't know that this had any pacing issues. I never felt pacing. No. I, I always felt the story was always moving forward. See, so, I, I it compared, like, it's really difficult. You know how much I love Infinity War and Endgame. I look at those movies. I can't believe they exist. I love the first Avengers. But to me, let's take this out of the Marvel equation and just look at it as a science fiction fantasy film. It's a really solid film. I mean, it really yeah. has, it, it stands up next to some of the great, the great sci-fi fantasy films of the last of the 20th and 21st century. All right. Next up, we got Mighty Tank One who writes, Obadiah was a great villain, probably the best in phase one next to Loki. Surprised he hasn't been mentioned since they made him out to be a big part of Tony's life. Well, yeah, somebody can be a big part of your life, but the moment they ultimately viciously betray you, they ain't a part of your life anymore. He was out of the MCU pretty quick. Um, I I'd be open to a return of Obadiah somehow, some way, but but yes, I listen. I don't think he's a great villain. He's played great, but yeah, probably next to Loki, he is probably the best Phase One villain. Uh, well, then this Red Skull. And yeah. Plus, I don't think he ever gave anything to Tony that he uses now, where he where you he would be mentioned. 
Yeah, he was the business guy. He was he just trying to undercut guy. Tony. Yeah. The whole time. All right, next up. We got Out of Time, who writes, Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with a box of scraps. That's a great moment <laughs> in that so movie. Great. I love that. Uh, Jesse writes, still one of my top MCU movies. The movie that started the passion that has lasted half my lifetime. I saw this when I was 10 in theaters, uh, then went and bought an Iron Man toy I still have to this oh, day. Yes, sir. Question time. Over, under. Let me give everybody in the chat an opportunity here. <laughs> Over or under 2.5, the number of Tony Stark slash Iron Man one six figures Robert Meyer Burnett owns. Let me ask you, let me give everybody in the chat a chance because we got about a 15 second delay. But over under 2.5, the number of Tony Stark, Iron Man, one six figures that Robert has. I mean, everybody is putting it over except for John Chung is saying under, but everybody else is saying over. Okay, Rob, over or under 2.5? Way, way over. Oh, oh do I ask? Way over. How many? Yes, oh, I can't even. I have to count them. As a matter of fact, I just got another one. I just got the battle damage Mark 85 from Endgame the, <laughs> when he says- uh, When he snaps? Uh, snaps his finger. Uh, and I've got the regular, the unbattle damage Mark oh 85 God. from Endgame. What, give me one. What do you got? Like the seven? Oh, my gosh. Over uh, 10. Would you over think 10 seven would be close? I don't know, because I've got, okay, I've got- well, I got two Iron Patriots. I got three Don Cheadles. I got uh, I got a war, two War Machines. But let's just say basic Patriots. red and red and gold Iron Man. Over or under five? Oh, over five. Okay, that's uh, more than enough for yeah. me. That's All like a thousand dollars right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, the die, you should ask how many die-cast Iron Man. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> we, we get it. We get all it, right. Robert. But by the Next way, up. I have a smaller number. I, I've I know people that have like all of them. And I, 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 I mean, I can't even begin to, duh. All right. Dragon Llama writes, I always thought it was strange that Tony didn't integrate the sonic laser into his weaponry after Iron Man. It's just such a powerful, non-lethal. Was that the thing that Obadiah was using? Sonic know. laser. Sonic is. Oh, he must have used it um, in the beginning where he goes to that town. Remember where the guys were? I think they're. Oh yeah, when, uh, yeah, the, yeah they're yeah. about to shoot the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. he shoots it out, so they don't. He, the the hostages they had. Did Is they that a sonic laser? I, I don't know what that. I, 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 I I'm just I'm, I'm speculating right here. So, but I don't. I I think that's when he used. By the way, it. he kills a bunch of dudes in this movie too. He, he murders a lot of people. It's not like uh, he Iron kills Man. a lot of. I mean, people. it's not like Batman. He, I do want to say it was in that town though. I'm not sure. But, Sorry, it's Sonic Taser. Taser. I still don't know what he's yeah, talking about. I don't about, know. Though. Maybe hmm. it is the paralysis thing. Uh, maybe, yeah. But I don't. Is it the one that Obadiah? Everybody live chat. Is that the thing that Obadiah was using? I'm not quite sure what what we're talking about here. Anyway, let's keep yeah, going. Right. We're running out of time here. Uh, all right, Andrew at the movies writes. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, decided to turn his life around when he had a disgusting Burger King burger. Uh, <laughs> Tony eating Burger King when he turns his life around is an homage. Listen, I'll t I'll tell you what. I think their money changed hands based on what burger Happy went to go get him. That it was not coincidence that you clear as day see a big Burger King logo oh. as Happy holds. I guarantee you, money. Well, changed you have hands to have that. that cleared anyway. You can't show a Burger King logo without clearing it in a movie. So you'd have to go to their parent company and make a deal. So yeah, that was definitely a part of that. All right. Uh, next up, we've got. Chris, uh, Chris Barcianis writes, 
As a lifelong Iron Man fan, this was the perfect movie with the perfect actor to kick off the MCU with. Listen, our standards have changed today. Like today, our standards are much, 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 much higher. But when that movie came out, there was the X-Men and X-Men 2, uh, to a degree, Blade. But like comic book movies in mass made to that level was such an unknown commodity at that point that, yeah, if you're an Iron Man fan and you go and you see that, I mean, th- th- you legitimately, there was an argument to be made that maybe that was the greatest comic book movie of all time when it came out. I still think that was X-Men 2, but there was a legitimate argument to be made at that time when Iron Man came out that, that this is the greatest comic book movie ever made. And if you're an Iron Man fan, that had to be feel really good. All right. Uh, Aiden Foley writes, uh, Yinsen doesn't get enough love. Absolutely agree. He repurposed Tony Stark from an ego, uh, egotistical maniac to full fledged superhero. Yinsen helped save the universe. He really did. Yep. He did. And, and you're right. That is a character that gets forgotten really in the lineage and the story of the MCU. I mean, understandably so he's only in the MCU for like a half hour. But still, that character. And by the way, I noticed something that I never realized before. When Tony goes and takes out all those terrorists attacking the refugees, that is Yinsen's hometown. Earlier in the movie, in the cave, Tony's asked, where are you from? And he says the name of this city. And I never realized that later, as the news reporter saying, coming to you from blah, 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 that it was the same city that Yinsen was from. So I got to believe part of the thing that motivated Tony into action now to go and do something with this new technology was the fact that that was Yinsen's hometown that was being sieged mm-hmm. by these guys. And I, n- I never noticed we that We also before. have to remember that it's the first instance that the Ten Rings appear in, yes. uh, in the MCU. Okay, next up. Uh, where were we at here? That was uh, Aiden. Yeah. Art Vandalay writes... I'm with you, John. I much prefer the physical Iron Man suits rather than the CGI magic ones. There's nothing like that first red suit clicking and rotating on Tony for the first time. Pure coolness, in my opinion. I absolutely agree. But at the same time, Art, let's not over-romanticize this. A lot of Iron Man in Iron Man 1 is CGI. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, a lot yeah, of, of Iron Man yeah, yeah. in Iron Man. But I so prefer that to the magic nanotechnology. I mean, because it, it, it went from... At the edge of believability, which of course is real mechanics don't exist, but they made you believe it really existed. And it's like, okay, I could maybe see that. By the time we get to Infinity War and Endgame, where it's just all this magic nanotech, this, I was like, but they're also fight, fighting aliens now too. With I, yeah. I, I understand. I totally, totally do. I totally do. <laughs> I mean, after the first Avengers and the Chitari attack right. Earth, all hey, I will, are I will just Cap say, is still using the same shield, man. I will just say I do miss the gantry every now and then. Like it's, it's true. like they they had it in the Avengers. I think that's the last time we've seen that thing. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Then, of course, they started to graduate from it. Like, eventually, I think when Iron Man 2, he carried it around in a suitcase. Right. Then he was carrying it around in his watch. It's the advancement. (laughs) It's the advancement of his tech. Yeah. And you see the step-by-step. Then they get to the magic nano. Yeah, I know. The one that appears out of nowhere. Yeah, all of a sudden. Yeah, okay. Whatever. Let me tap my chest. All right. Uh, Next up, where are we at? We are Cutter Hale, (laughs) who writes, The truth is, 
I am Iron Man. Also, the greatest Marvel couple is Tony and Pepper. Hands down, in my opinion. The opening scene is awesome. I love this movie. I, I mean, they just... They check off so many boxes. They win in so many of the areas. Great individual character. Great. Check. Great interdynamic relationships. Check. Compelling villain. Check. Great action. Check. Proper story pacing. Check. I mean, they they just run the gambit of it, Cutter, and they do such a great job of it, and I love it. All right, T-Bagger writes, uh, do you see the new Michael Keaton Batman? Uh, we're here to talk about Iron Man, dude. Uh, Ryan Loner writes, it's so easy to forget that when this movie was first announced, basically no one outside the most hardcore Marvel fans had any idea who Marvel was. I, again, you go back to that. Like when I tell some people today, you got to understand that at the time, Iron Man was essentially a B-level character. Iron Man is not a B-level character. You weren't around. Yes, he was. Now, the hardcore Iron Man fans of the time would also protest but he was. If you're a comic book reader, I mean, he was he was in the mix of, of the main characters, but the the movie-going audience didn't know who Iron Man was at all. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you knew Spider-Man, you knew Captain America, you knew yeah. Thor. A lot of us are still coming off of those cartoons. That's, yeah, exactly. That's the only Marvel stuff we saw, and we never saw Iron Man in any of those cartoons or lead. There was one, remember Iron Man Adventures or something like that? Yeah. It, it got was. canceled. <laughs> canceled. All right, next up. Uh, we got uh, Julian Mott who writes, love you guys and love this movie. Hi, Uncle Ray. Hi. <laughs> I love this. And you know, we really love doing Movie Club. This is only our second episode, but this has been so fun so far. All right. Uh, Roman uh, Googly, Goog, uh, Googlielmo. Googlielmo. I'm Googlielmo. Sure, I'm sure I'm mispronouncing that. My apologies, Roman. I uh, love the Iron Man theme in this movie. I really wish they kept it as the definitive Iron Man theme throughout the rest of the MCU. You know what? I'm going to say something a little bit controversial. Uh-oh. What's, what, what theme is he talking about? The dun-dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Yeah, is, is okay. Overall, like, okay, let's go back. I'm, I'm going to bring up Man of Steel again. Go back to Man of Steel and the first flight. And oh, the well, music that plays on first flight. Man. No, 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 just wait, just wait. Hear me out. Now when you come to Iron Man and you go to his first flight, as he's flying over the, the carnival and going around the city, it, fe it sounds like a bad Casio keyboard drum machine with dun, 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 dun. I, just, I don't know it felt a little you almost know, 80s -y. I didn't love the music yeah, I, I can't I, I was trying to call his name up it's it's the same composer who does yes. Game of Thrones Raymond Dwaji yeah, you know not a huge fan you of know it. what's so sad that's my favorite song in the whole thing I really thought, I thought it made that scene for me that's why that was my favorite what you're talking about when he's in the mark two right yeah, and that song where dun, 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 yeah, I, I love it. it. I, I like it, and also, you know, it's like he did the score for Pacific Rim too, which rules. I and like I, the music in Pacific that's Rim. That's crazy. You, you know. didn't like that song. That's yeah, so I don't know. I just didn't me. like that music. It's, that, that's just me. I'm You're sure spoiled I'm with the Man of Steel one though. Maybe that one's great. Totally, but that that's, epic. Oh, that's like epic myth making. But also, like the MCU, like I always felt in the first like. Seven, eight, nine years of the MCU. That is the one area I always felt the DCU outperformed the MCU was their scores. But let me put it this but way. They've gotten better in their scores over recent years. Um, that song wouldn't work, let's say, for a Thor Thor's first flight or the first time we see him flying. Yeah. It would be more, I would expect more of the Man of Steel with Thor. But with Iron Man, it just worked for me just because it's a man with his suit that he made <laughs> and he's learning it. He's having it. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know what yeah, I mean? yeah. With the suit that he made. I love <laughs> that. It's a whole genre right there. All right. Renee Scarlet hook writes, 
I remember sitting in the theater when a very early teaser came out and people in the theater were laughing at it. Little did they know. Dude, listen, one of the most pivotal trailer... You guys know I did a movie called Movie Trailers, A Love Story. It's all about the history and the formation, the importance of movie trailers and stuff like that. The single biggest, most definitive course of history changing kind of trailer was the Phantom Menace trailer. You mean going, really? You'd have to see my documentary and understand. But the Iron Man trailer that played at Comic-Con, that trailer and the reaction from that trailer set the table for what would become the MCU. Nobody cared about Iron Man, really. John Favreau, the swingers? Iron Man, that B-level Batman wannabe character. Robert Downey Jr., really? And then the trailer hit at Comic-Con and it changed movie history. Yeah. Changed movie history. And, I, and no one has footage of it. Like That's what sucks. No, I, I would rewatch that reaction on YouTube if someone put it up. But there's People nothing. were dubious, man. They, Even they at Comic-Con, they yeah. were dubious. Yep. Until that, I, was, I was there when they showed that trailer. And it was like, yep. Yeah. All right. We keep going on. Thanks for that in, Renee. Next up, we got Dan's Productions Rights. I was nine when Iron Man was released. <laughs> there you go. Uh, Tammy Komar writes, Thanks for doing this. Well, thanks for being here, Tammy. It's good to have you here. Oh. Uh, the man with the master plan writes, the fight scene is still one of the best MCU action sequences. Thank you for this movie club idea. Well, I, I, we love doing it. Yeah. And yeah, you know what? Going back and watch it, the one scene that's really kind of cool in that fight scene near the end, oh, the guy riding by on the motorcycle, Obadiah just grabs the motorcycle. The guy goes, ah! He just flies off the bike. Then he takes the motorcycle and swings it at Tony. That's a great moment. It's great. <laughs> I mean, it does also need to see how MCU action scenes have evolved because then you get into something like the, the airport fight scene in Civil War. I still think might be the best action sequence in, in, in Marvel history. But then right up there is the bus fight in Shang-Chi. I mean, that is like one of my Yeah, because favorites. again, you go back to the physicality of it. Yes, which is really great. But yeah, it all started right there, man. All right, Mr. Hank Dunn writes, uh, I wish Disney never bought Marvel. Iron Man 1 has a sense of our world that we haven't seen in a while, and it would have allowed for more mature content. Here's the thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to disagree with you, Hank. What's mature? What's mature? Because I, I'm telling you what, we get into things like Endgame, Infinity War. We're not just talking about the deaths of, of half the people in the world. When you get into sequences like Scott Lang realizing, thinking his daughter is gone and then trying to find his daughter and that moment in that movie when he finds his daughter, now kind of grown up. When you look at a lot of things that happen within the MCU, whether it's the death of Odin or the destruction of Asgard or the snapping away of half-life on Earth and what state does that leave the world when half the population suddenly disappears and you got superheroes going to support groups. When you take situations like that, when somebody says to me, yes, but they don't do mature content, I want to ask, what are you talking I about? I think I know what he's talking about. What do you mean? This is the la This is one of the times where I could remember, remember after um, Tony Stark like uh, gets out of the cave? Remember the main bald uh, guy? Yeah. He, he had skin and blood peeled off from the side of his face. Yeah, he's yeah. He's talk, I think he's talking about that and bullets Curtis are flying and blood. Yeah, like that. But I is, know. That, is that what we mean by mature? No, I think, I think it's more of, of a quote unquote real world feeling. Yeah, like exactly. This movie That's feels like, you know, even when him and Leslie Bibb jump on the bed. 
Right. Like he meets her and they're going to get boom, chicka, wow, wow. That, I get it. I get what they're talking. I get what people are talking about. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I remember when I saw this movie and there was talk about making an MCU. I was like, how the hell are they going to make this Iron Man fit with Asgard and the Rainbow Bridge and Odin and the Warriors 3? In my mind, I'm like, how? Because I was like, this is so set in the real world. The fantastical elements were downplayed. The technology was downplayed. And I'm like, how is that going to work? Much less work with a Captain America that they're going to start in World War II. How are those things going to come together? And I don't think they could have if they, if they, you had to embrace the fantasy sci-fi elements to all of this, or you couldn't have done Thor. You know, you could have gone to Asgard. You could have seen the Rainbow Bridge. You couldn't have seen any of those other. You couldn't see Loki. How do you make a Loki if you didn't go more into the fantasy realm? There would never be an MCU if and, you kept it this grounded. And also, John, remember the scene when they first captured him and they lift up the thing? That's terrorist stuff that, that you know, happen, that was happening. You know what I mean? Remember when they had Robert Downey Jr. and they... Pulled off the, oh, yeah, they had him in front of the camera. I was like, oh, my God, this but, is not something I expect sure, but from still, a... But it's not like they get, they abandoned it. Let's, let's fast forward a little bit to something like Captain America and the Winter Soldier. Like, that is... Oh, that one's brutal, that too. That is political intrigue, yep. whatever. You you got Nick Fury dying on an operating table. That, you that's have, right. Like, all this stuff going on. Civil War has, like, massive... Like, they're dr struggling with issues about... Where is the line drawn between personal patriotism and governmental patriotism and like which line do you need to watch? I mean, I just disagree with people when they say that. Now, the other thing you got to keep in mind, too, is even if the MCU always stayed at Paramount, eventually it was going to go more fantastical. It the had more to. you get into that world, whether it's the stepping stone of Thor, whatever, the more and more you go into that world, it's going to get more and more fantastical. And if Paramount never let it do that, then it wouldn't have been the success that it is today. No, and like you, I think back to Endgame. My one of my favorite scenes in the whole MCU is when Cap is talking to Natasha. She's just sitting behind the desk, and he's come to you know visit her, and they talk about yeah. those whales, and and it's just two people dealing with the weight of the world in the last five years and what they've coped with. The fact that they've managed to keep the Marvel Cinematic Universe as adult and mature as it is is, dare I say, a marvel. A marvel. All right, next up. Thanks for writing that in, Hank. I appreciate your sharing your point of view on that, man. Sin Vendetta writes, Tony, I don't uh, want to see this on your MySpace. Uh, please, no gang sides. No, I'm kidding. Throw it up. Yeah, that, that, I mean, right there, right in the opening of the movie, you completely know everything you need to know about Tony Stark. Yeah. Right? Like everything you need to know about. Except such a which great brand moment. of whiskey he drinks. So good. Okay, Marcy X writes, uh, it was Terrence Howard that recommended Robert Downey Jr. for the part of Iron Man. I had heard, I, I don't know that he was the originator of that, but I heard he got behind it. Yep. That he was totally behind it. And I, I mean, I don't know what the full story is, but the the meltdown of the relationship between Robert Downey Jr. and Terrence Howard is really one of the more unfortunate yeah. stories in Hollywood, actually. All right, uh, next up, we've got... Uh, Glee Her Glenn Mark writes, uh, Rhodes, they tell me, if I presented you with an award, you'd be deeply honored. Stark, of course. Wait, a Golden Globe? <laughs> Send it back with Tom's stuff. By the way, that whole thing where they're saying this big prestigious award, blah, blah, and he gives it to Tony in the casino. And I think I might have missed it the first time I saw the movie. But then as Tony's walking out of the casino, he just hands it to the valet. He goes, here you go. Like, it's supposed to be this big, important award. Again, telling you everything you need to know about the character. All right, Addison writes, 
or Addison writes, um, there's just something about the color grading in this movie that's really special. The reds pop on the suit, and it's so visually pleasing to look at. Yep. It is a very, what's the best way I know how to, not only is it a very glossy kind of movie, in, in basic terms, it felt like it, the contrast has popped up a bit. Yes. You know, in, in modern cinematography, the modern trend in cinematography is to desaturate a bit, lower the contrast ratio, reduce that HDR. And, and I get that. And, and you can almost tell the era that the movie came out of by looking at the color profile of it. But it did really pop in this well, movie. That's where they, they, they didn't forget. It's com- it is a comic book movie after yeah. all. And they wanted to give you that vibrancy and, and, without and, making it too like we're not in the real world. We're doing Dick Tracy. Like like the the shot of the hill of the house, like yeah. the house was super bright, and then the rest of the hill, and then even in his uh, little workstation, all the the bright blues where you could tell the yeah. computers were. It was great. It's a very colorful, colorful film. All right, next up, uh, Esteban Reyes writes. The greatest line ever. Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave with a box <laughs> of scraps. Again, I could hear that. I mean, because. Not only are you getting to understand his frustration, what's going on, it highlights, hey guys, I know you're watching a movie, but in case you forgot how remarkable it is what this character did, Obadiah is going to remind you. And and I think that's a very key part. And you're right, Esteban, it is a great, great line in the movie. All right. Uh, Osam Pavon writes, love all the content. For me, 07, I was at Blockbuster Video and I read it on a magazine, uh, Rob Macross Rules. <laughs> oh, Mac- Macross, you're talking about the, yeah, the, the, the planes. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I still remember the first time I heard they're doing an Iron Man movie and then when I heard they got Robert Downey Jr. And I remember thinking, like, I, I at the time was like, you know what? I could see Robert Downey Jr. as a Tony Stark. I mean, he wouldn't have been my pick. I, w- I wouldn't have pulled his name out of a hat. But once they said they got him, I was like, you know what? That could work. But re- is he going to, I mean, is he going to drug out again? Is he going to, is he going to, uh, how they're going to get halfway through this production and then have to stop production? Because I think Paramount was wondering the same thing. I think they were very much wondering the <laughs> same thing. Because you also heard, heard Tom Cruise like name thrown in there too. And you're Back like, in the 90s when they were going to. You're gonna like, Robert or Tom Cruise? Uh, or, you know, I don't know. All right, next up, we've got uh, uh, Glenn Mark writes, Stark, uh, who are these people? Yinsen, your loyal customers, but only one is the Lord of the Ten Rings. Yeah, I mean, again, it's, it is kind of funny the way they decided, you know what? We're going to retcon what the Ten Rings meant, and we're going to actually do the real Ten Rings at some point. But it is funny going back now yep. and seeing them talking about that. All right. And next we got Power is Power. Just sends in a super chat to be supportive. Thank you, Power. Dominic Suma writes, in my opinion, the suit looked worse in each subsequent movie. I don't disagree. I don't disagree either. It looks, this iteration of the suit, the Mark III at any rate, is the best that suit ever looked. No, I get it. But yeah, the comic book, John, I don't give a shit what they did in the comic book. In the movies, I I personally think this was the best looking iteration. It's a great suit. You know, I really didn't like when they went to the triangle arc reactor. But Johnny, in the cut, I I know they did in the comic books. Again, I don't give a shit that they did in the comic books. It just didn't look as as good. And I I think, and now look, I I never had a problem with how the suits looked moving forward. 
But now that you mentioned it, Dominic, yes, I agree. I think this was the it's best great suit. I like the boxy boxiness of the first suits, and it also looked it looked like looked vulnerable. vulnerable. Yeah, and it looked vulnerable too. Yeah, it didn't look like it could defend alien bullets or whatever that is. But <laughs> yeah, yeah all right, crashing coyote. Right, who wins in a fight? Uh, Tony from Iron Man One or Season One Oliver Queen. Oh, Tony from Iron Man 1. He's got, I mean, Oliver, Oliver Queen in season one of Green Arrow has got some nice arrows and everything, but Tony still has the Iron Man armor. All right. Uh, Glenn Mark writes, Stark is a mini arc react reactor. Yinsen, what can that energy help you do? Stark, uh, three go-go girls per second. I mean, but one of the things was really cool in that scene when he talks about how much can produce, I don't know what he said, 15 gigajoules or something like that. Yinsen, that can power your heart for 50 lifetimes. Or, no, that can power your heart for 15 lifetimes, he says, or something really big for 15 minutes. It's like, oh, we know what he's talking about. That was such a great line. All right. Uh, Daryl Best Wadley writes, Leslie Bibb married Hawkeye in the movie Tag. Oh, like in the movie, the character. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love Leslie Bibb. But again, I just think it's so funny that Leslie Bibb from Iron Man 1 eventually goes on to marry Justin Hammer. <laughs> Very eventually goes on to marry Sam Rockwell. All right. Tariq Diggle, Dingle writes, Iron Man, still in my top 10 MCU films. What a year 08 was with this and The Dark Knight, uh, the beginning of the biggest film franchise and arguably the greatest sequel ever made. Uh, changed the movie landscape. Wow. Yeah, listen, the, the in- importance of that, the importance of that, of... That year, because you're right, Iron Man was, it opened the door for what would become the the most powerful force in in the history of cinema, the MCU. And also another comic book movie came out that year, prior to comic book movies being the biggest thing in the world, that was, to some people still to this day, the greatest comic book movie of all time in The Dark Knight. I mean, when you really look back on it, that is such a pivotal, important, momentous year for comic book films. And I don't think we understood that. No. At the time. We didn't know. These were one-offs. You know, they might. we didn't know that there was going to be a whole... I mean, obviously, the promise of the MCU was there. But when I first saw this, it was, a, it was an unknown quantity. They did not know how much money this was going to make. And remember, when Dark Knight came out, Batman Begins did a... It did well. And people liked it. People liked it. Yeah. But the Dark Knight, that Heath Ledger performance was beyond. And he had to deal with the same thing Iron Man had to deal with. Those people like, Iron Man? They were, what? And people like, Heath Ledger is playing the Joker. What? And both movies surprised the audience. And now here, it wasn't until years later that we can look back on it and go, oh, yeah. Look at what a year that was. All right. And finally, the Jughead one just sends in a super chat badge to be supportive. Thank you, Jughead one. We appreciate that. And guys, uh, that'll wrap up this week's meeting of Movie Club. Our meeting is now adjourned. Thank you, everybody, for, for being here and wa- and uh, hanging out and talking with us about Iron Man 1. I realized just before we started recording that we had not yet picked out a movie for next week's Movie Club. So uh, watch the John Campion Show tomorrow. We will tell you tomorrow what next week's Movie Club movie will be so you guys can get, do your homework and get caught up on it and ready for next week's installment. So we will let you know what that is uh, there soon. Anyway, guys, uh, thank you so much for being here. Rob, thanks for joining us. Ray Aura, of course, for being here as well. And thank you to all of you guys who've been following around and sitting around and having the biscotti and sipping our coffee and talking about Iron Man 1. <laughs> what an incredible film. Anyway, guys, thanks a lot for being here. My name is John Campia, and until next time, my friends.
Bye-bye.